0: Uh, I'm glad that you're here this morning uh, at Outward Church. Uh, I'm a little bit sick, and so we're just going to kind of push through here. I had a sneezing fit at 3:42 this morning, um, uh, like 20 sneezes in a row. Like it was, it was amazing. I, I mean, it was fantastic. I wish you could have been there, but um, in any case, it was that was that was pretty fun and. Um, and whatnot. So um, good news, I, I, I got my house dried in. So if you've been following the project at all, I got some tar paper on there. I want to thank uh, all of you that have come to, to help and uh, condemn everyone that has not. So um, no, I'm kidding. But uh, I've been very thankful to have so many great uh, people that have been coming and helping us uh, put our house together. But um, just got some tar paper on the entire roof. So no more uh, no more big leaks anyway so we 'll get the roof on soon but um, we 've been in in first corinthians and and the thing about first Corinthians is that it's it's base it's a little bit of a beat down if i 'm honest i mean i i I believe that it is and the apostle Paul is talking to a church that um, is basically just kind of going nuts a little bit and they're all fighting with each other and so in an effort to 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 try to bring us along and to say okay is this who we are is this what we are you know we've got to apply this to ourselves and say well well every aspect of the church in Corinth may not be true of us there there may be aspects that it is and so what, what we want to do is we want to apply that to our lives. But the thing that I want to tell you kind of going in, and, and what I, I feel like I want to make more clear as, as we're going in, is that some, these are hard passages. They're, they're difficult passages. And at, at Outward Church, one of the things that we try to do uh, more often than not is to, to really challenge you in the way, in, in the things that you think, and the way that you feel. And, and, and so forth. And so that's what 1 Corinthians has been about. And I think it's actually going to get worse. I'll just, I'll just be honest with you. And so I, I don't necessarily think that this will be some kind of amazing period of growth for our church because I think people will come and just be like, wow, they're, they're really serious about you know, teaching the word of God. And, 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 and we are. We are serious about that. But um, I, I want to encourage you as we walk through these passages to just say like, okay, God, what do you have for me here? And to submit to God in in that sense, and I think today is no different because we've been walking through chapter four. We're we're gonna um, hopefully uh, finish up chapter four. I meant to finish it last week, it didn't happen, but we're gonna finish up chapter four this week. But the Apostle Paul has been talking to these people, and he's been essentially saying to them, like, I, I want you guys to get along. I want you to get along, and what's been happening is that there's all of these rivalries in the context of this church, and these people are trying to one-up each other. It, It would be a little bit like, I don't know if you've ever been in a work situation where someone's bucking for a promotion, and so they're, they're trying to make you look bad and trying to build themselves up. And so there's this factionalism, and there's these different leaders that people are trying to, that, that they're identifying themselves with. And the Apostle Paul is saying, that is, that is from the world, that's worldly wisdom, and you're importing that into the church. And so what's happening is it's bringing about this discord and this fighting within the context of the church, and that has no place here. And so he's been explaining to them, and really where we, where we left off, was in uh, basically verse seven, where he says, "For who sees anything different in you?" Chapter four, verse seven of First Corinthians. For who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? And so there's there's people who have, uh, they have these incredible giftings and. And they're, they're using them, but, but they're also boasting about those, those things. There's this celebrity Christianity that's going on. And, it, and, and really, it was celebrity Christianity in that day, and we still have the same type of epidemic today where you have people who have these giftings and so forth, and while many of them may not be boasting externally, because we would look down on that, in, in many cases, there is there is a little bit of boasting that happens like, like on Twitter or, or Facebook or whatever, or or you boast in the leader that you identify with the most. And so the Apostle Paul is saying, he's saying, what do you have that you didn't receive? Like, you didn't make yourself so great. You, you didn't like uh, somehow cause yourself to, to be born as a beautiful person or with this specific skill set. like That just came to you inherently. That was created in you. And so what do you have that you didn't receive? And so think about it in that way that the Apostle Paul is confronting them in this. I want to read the rest of the passage and then I want to comment on that. So uh, chapter 4, verse 8, he says, Already you have all you want. Already you have become rich. Without us, you have become kings, and would that you did reign, so that we might share the rule with you. For I think that God has exhibited us apostles as last of all, like men sentenced to death, because we have become a spectacle to the world, to angels and to men. We are fools for Christ's sake. But you are wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are held in honor, but we in disrepute. To the present hour, we hunger and thirst. We are poorly dressed and buffeted and homeless, and we labor working with our own hands. When reviled, we bless. When persecuted, we endure. When slandered, we entreat. We have become and are still like the scum of the world, the refuse or trash of all things. I do not write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I urge you then, be imitators of me. That is why I sent you, Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, To remind you of my ways in Christ, as I teach them everywhere in every church. Some are arrogant, as though I were not coming to you, but I will come to you soon, if the Lord wills, and I will find out the talk of these arrogant people, but their power. And and, and I will find out not the talk of these arrogant people, but their power. For the kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in power. What do you wish? Shall I come to you with a rod? or with love in a spirit of gentleness. And I love the NIV. It says, shall I come to you with a whip? And it always makes me think of the whip and the nay-nay. So um, in any case, I don't know if you know that song. It's pretty bad. So so Paul is saying this. He's saying, y'all think that you're pretty big stuff. Uh, you think you've got some pretty good giftings. And towards the end of the the passage there, what he's saying to them is he's saying, um, I want you to look at me like a father. And he, he ends with saying, I may end up having to come to you and discipline you. So if you look at the theme of, of this short section of Scripture, what you see there is you see authority. You see the Apostle Paul expressing authority. And he's saying to this church, he's saying, he's saying, you guys think that you are the authority, but I'm telling you that I am the authority in this situation, and and I want you to hear me in this. Now, what's so abrasive about this, what causes us to kind of recoil when we read things like this, especially to people on the outside of the church who don't really submit to this type of conversation, is that this idea of authority and saying, I'm going to put myself in subjection to, and I'm going to honor someone else as, as, as though they are the authority in my life, that just, that just sounds repressive. It sounds, like over, it sounds overbearing. It, it, found, it sounds like a uh, fundamentalist type of Christianity. But here's the thing, uh, the reason why we feel that way is because, especially in America, uh, we have a society that's very much built on being our own authority, being a, a self-made man. If, you, if you've ever seen the documentary The West uh, by Ken Burns, a fantastic documentary, but um, what is very fascinating is how all of these people with similar uh, type traits come in. They are self-made men and women They come in, they fight through unbelievable odds, and they pull themselves up by their bootstraps, and they make something of themselves. It's a classic American story. It's going your own way. It's doing your own thing. It's being a cowboy. It's being somebody who just takes um, instead of waiting for someone to give that to you. And so our country is very much built on this. Our country is very much built on this idea of kind of shirking authority, And so that kind of bleeds into our our own lives. In fact, in my life, I'm somebody who has always been kind of a rule breaker. My wife, on the other hand, is a rule keeper. Um, take, for instance, like when you drive in a mall parking lot, that, those stop signs there, those are not enforceable, right? Those things are just, they're, they're suggestions. It's a, it's a traffic suggestion in a mall parking lot because I don't really need to stop at this stop sign that, you know, uh, uh, the mall cop says I should stop at. I mean, there's, there's no enforcement behind this. My wife, on the other hand, will stop at every single one of those. Now, I'm somebody who is constantly rejecting the rules. I'm constantly somebody who says, I don't need that. I, 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 I want to go make my own way. But there's some of you who say, if I follow the authority, then I'll get what I want. If I follow the authority, I'll, I'll be able to have uh, something that I really desire. And so you use authority in that way. So some of us are people who are self-made men or, or women. And we say, like, I, I, I just want, I want to be in charge. I want to be the person who uh, creates authority. And some of us want to play by the rules and in order to get what we want. But here's the thing. All of us always are under some type of authority. All of us always are under some kind of authority. Whether it's an authority uh, figure that where we're abiding by the rules or whether we become our own authority. We are always under authority. And the question is whether that authority structure that you're under, that you've placed yourself under, is a an authority structure which leads to human flourishing, to your life flourishing, becoming somebody who, who uh, becoming more like Christ, becoming that type of person, or whether you are being made into your own image, whether you're being made into your own image. See, God created us in his own image, and the rejection of God and his image in us is disobedience. It's to say, I don't need God's, God's rules. I don't need his laws. I don't need to listen to him. I don't need to abide by what he has to say, and ultimately, it's rebellion. Every single one of us is rebellious at heart. All of us are sinners at heart. I'm a sinner at heart. I'm, I'm somebody who uh, desires my own way. I desire to be my own authority. It's what happened in the garden. It's what you see consistently happen throughout the scriptures as humanity takes the reins of their life and says, I will be my own authority. I will be over God. So Paul is confronting that in this church. And what he says, if you look at verse eight is he says already you have all that you want already you have all that you want and what that word right there that for want it it could actually mean satiated the the root word there would mean satiated and satiated means satisfied like ultimately satisfied and so the apostle paul is coming to them and and he's saying you have Everything that you want in and of yourself, you are self-satisfied on so many different levels. He says, uh, you're rich, and ultimately, you are kings. And then... you, I hope you sense his sarcasm when he's saying, and I wish that you were king so that we could reign with you. But what he's calling them out on is he's saying this. He's saying, you believe that you have everything that you need in and of yourself. You've been fully satisfied. You have everything that you want. You don't need anything else from anyone else. And so you're just it. What The, the root issue here is this, is that these people refuse to be taught. They refuse to be taught. When here at Outward Church, like when, when we're considering somebody to lead something, we, we consider uh, something which is kind of cheesy, but we call it the fat principle. It's faithful, available, teachable. You can find a lot of people who are faithful. They come, they they're they're here, they're a part of things, they're they're available. They, they, they make themselves available to serve, but that third element of being teachable is one of the most difficult things in our culture today, because so many people believe that I am the measure of what I should do. I am my own authority. It's this idea of, of saying, like, I am going to submit myself uh, to someone else's final authority, And too often, we find ourselves not wanting to be under anybody's authority, but we find ourselves satisfied, satiated to the nth degree, and we say, I'm not going to put myself under someone else's authority because what I believe is true is true. What I decide uh, should happen is going to happen. And so uh, the Apostle Paul goes on, and he says in verse 9, he says, For I think that God has exhibited us as apostles as last of all, like men, sentenced to death, because we have become a spectacle to the world, to angels and to men. We are fools for Christ's sake, but you are wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are held in honor, but we in disrepute. And what is he, what is he saying to them? He's saying this. He's saying, uh, I, I am an apostle. And, and an apostle is not somebody who has chosen themselves, who's self-identified as, a, as an apostle. We do not have apostles today. We do not have apostles today because apostles are called by Jesus himself. They've, they, they served with Jesus himself. And so we don't have apostles uh, today, but the apostle Paul is saying, here I am, an apostle. I'm, this is the highest office, if you will, in the context of the Christian church, and here you are, a church that I started and that I, that I brought to life by teaching you the gospel. And what are you saying? You're, saying? you're saying, like, everything is good. You're a king. You're rich. You have everything that you need. You don't need to hear anymore. You don't need to understand anymore. He says, we're fools for Christ's sake, but you are wise in Christ. The Apostle Paul wouldn't even claim that he is wise in Christ. In fact, he has gone uh, at lengths to say that, that this, this so-called worldly wisdom that, that these, these people in Corinth are claiming for themselves, he's saying, listen, when I teach the gospel, when I'm talking, I look like a fool to everyone else. But somehow you and all the things that you're doing find yourself being wise, like this is the highest value to you. Is that you're claiming something for yourself that I would not even claim for me. That I'm, I'm an apostle and yet I would not claim that. And he says, he says uh, you, we're weak, but you're strong. Like, there's this incredible weakness about Paul. And he says, but you're exhibiting this, this idea that somehow you are strong and that you are self-made and that you have all of this figured out. Do you see what's happening here? There's this perception that these people want to create about themselves, that they're successful, that they really have it all together, that they're, that they're really figuring things out for themselves. And what's taking place in reality is that they are simply just wise in their own eyes. They're not teachable. And so basically, they're going to go on and on and on in this echo chamber that basically says, yeah, I'm pretty cool, yeah, I'm cool, yeah, I'm cool, yeah, I'm cool. And they really never figure out that they have stuff going on in their life And so on the surface, everything looks good, but in reality, everything is not good because they refuse to be taught. They refuse to listen. All of us are always under authority. All of us are always under authority. And if you say, I want to reject authority... And you say I don't want to listen to the teaching of someone else basically what you're saying is you're saying I'm not gonna listen to that teaching I'm gonna listen to this teaching I'll be a God to myself I'll allow someone else to be my God but I will not subject myself to God himself how's this play out well uh, a few years ago um, I i picked up barbecuing as kind of a hobby because i realized i don't really like doing anything i was church planting and really if your job becomes everything to you then you're kind of um scary but um and so i i took up uh i took up barbecuing and um i found out like this is kind of fun it's kind of a hobby of mine but, and the the greatest thing about this hobby is that there's lots of delicious meat when you're done um figuring out how how, how to barbecue and so i, I would Barbecue all kinds of stuff and I mean just over and over again and, and I started with tri-tip and then I got into ribs And so I, I started barbecuing these ribs and um, I, I just I I think I, I basically perfected it, right? I, I, I mean it was pretty amazing and what I would do is I, I would take I would take uh, a slab of ribs and I'd put this like this great dry rub on there and then I would put uh, I would just like baste this thing in like uh, brown sugar and then sometimes I would take apples, like sliced apples, and it was like an apple pie rib. I mean, I don't know if you've ever had one of those, but it, it's pretty amazing. And so, I mean, it was just, it was, it was so good. And the problem was is that I, I just got so into my new hobby that pretty soon I was gigantic. Like, I was huge. Like, I mean, I weighed more than I had ever weighed before in my life. And so pretty soon, so this hobby kind of took over. And I began to say, i got to get into this. i gotta, I got to figure this out. i got to do this. And I'm eating, and I'm eating, and I'm eating. And guess what? Food, in some senses, became my God. It became the thing that, that, that I was interested in. It became the thing that I, I decided I wanted to figure out how, how, to, how to cook it, and I wanted to figure out how to barbecue just uh, the best way. But I kept eating, and I kept eating, and I kept getting bigger. Kept getting bigger. And so I had made this thing my God. So then what ended up happening is I came to this point where I was like, you know, um, the dryer kept shrink- shrinking my shirts, all right? I mean, I'm just like, babe, like, stop drying my shirts so much. And she's like, I'm not. I'm like, my shirts are like, they're, they're too short and my, I mean, everything is just a little bit too snug. And so I realized that there was actually a big problem. Like, I, I'm not sure that the shirts are getting smaller. I was actually getting larger. And so I decided, like, I'm either going to have to buy a new wardrobe or actually drop some of this weight. And so you know what I had to do? I had to put myself under authority of something else. I had to put myself under the authority of a diet, right? And so uh, my wife actually read up all of this. I don't know. I think she wanted me to be skinny or something like that. And so she, um, she started starving me. And, uh, no, but, I, I, you know, you have to buy this food offline. They charge, like, $1,000 for, like, you know, a shake or something like that. And, but somehow you, you, you eat it. It's probably uh, uh, got all kinds of chemicals in there. You eat this stuff, and you're not as hungry. And so pretty soon I start dropping some weight. So I was putting myself under a new authority. What we don't understand is that you may not like the authority of, uh, of Jesus. You may not like various types of authority, but you have to understand that you're always putting yourself under authority. In one way or another, you're always allowing yourself to be taught by something. It's just a matter of whether that thing is going to lead you to flourishing as a human being the way that God had intended, or whether it will lead you to disintegration. It'll lead you to uh, falling apart. And the Apostle Paul says, he says, uh, "To, to this present hour, like in this very moment, we hunger and thirst We are poorly dressed and buffeted and homeless and we labor working with our own hands. When reviled, we bless. When persecuted, we endure. When slandered, we entreat. We have become and are still like the scum of the world, the refuse of all things. What's he saying there? He's he's saying this: he's saying, I am the exact opposite of what you claim to be. I'm I'm the exact opposite. It's like, I'm not well-fed. I don't have the food that I need. I don't have the clothing that I really need. And so many people will, will tell you, there's people, there's TV preachers, whatever, that'll tell you that somehow, like when you follow God, like when you're walking with him, he's just going to provide everything for you. And the Apostle Paul says, like when, you, when, when I am under the authority of Jesus Christ, like you have to understand something. That as, as, as a person who's under the authority of Jesus Christ, I'm dealing with hunger. I'm dealing with thirst. I'm dealing with a lack of clothing. I'm dealing with uh, being hit, which is buffeted. I don't have a home. I'm working with my own hands. I'm reviled, and yet I bless people. You know what's happening in their life? When they're reviled, they revile. When they're persecuted, they persecute. When they slander, when, when they are slandered, they slander them back. Sounds like a political season, doesn't it? Right? It's uh, "You slandered me, I'm going to lob a tweet at you and I'm going to slander you. You persecute me, I'm going to persecute you. We have become, and are still like the scum of the world, the refuse of all things. The Apostle Paul is saying this: like your lives are reactionary in these ways where you say, like, I, I, I'm doing so well. I don't need teaching. I don't need people to speak into my life. But he's saying to them, he's saying by the, the sheer evidence of the things that are going on in your life, the fact that all of these uh, horrific things are happening uh, in, in your midst where you guys are reviling one another, you're arguing with one another and so forth, He's saying, "What's actually taking place in your life is that you are full of worldliness. You refuse to be taught, and you're doing your own thing." And so he says in verse fourteen, "I do not write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children." Now it seems it seems somewhat uh, presumptuous if I called you children. Would that would that feel good? Dear children, uh, my child, my daughter. That would feel presumptuous, would it not? If, if I were to speak to you in that way as a pastor or as your pastor, it would feel a little bit presumptuous. But the Apostle Paul says, he says, I am coming to you in a way that's different than what you might expect. I'm coming to you not as this authoritarian leader I'm coming to you in a different way. And what's what, what is that different way? He says, "For although for though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I urge you then, be imitators of me." What he's saying, he's saying like there's a lot of people in your life who could possibly lead you, but I am in the position of father. I'm in the position of somebody who uh, has a unique relationship to you. And so what he means here when he says guides is he saying this. You may have countless guardians. He's referring to something uh, during his time where uh, a young boy or a young girl would have a guardian. It'd be like a nanny. who would take them to school, make sure they got there safely, kind of correct a little bit here and there, make sure that they're taken care of. But he would kind of walk them through life. And so he's saying to them, he's saying, like you may have uh, tons of people who might speak into your life, like a guide, a guardian, a nanny. But like there's only one person in your life that can take the role of father. And the reason why he'd say, I'm, I'm a father to you, is he's not saying, I, I am the one who's dominant over you. What he's saying is he's saying this, I love you so much. I care about you so much. I'm not like somebody who's just here doing a job. I am somebody who's here and who loves you with the intensity of a father. And I and I and I love you so much that I, I came and I planted this church here. And, and I and I have uh, I, I loved you so much and I and I and I shared the gospel with you. And so you came to Jesus. In and through the ministry that I'm providing. And I am just asking you, the Apostle Paul is saying, to hear me out in this. To hear me out. And what's he, what's he asking them to hear him out on? He's asking them to hear him out on this. He's saying, I urge you to be an imitator of me. I'm asking you to imitate me. Now, there's not a lot of preachers who would actually say that, right? It's a hard thing to say. Would you please imitate my life? Imitate what I'm doing. I hope that uh, aspects of my life are, are, are uh, imitatable. But I would not say, like, on every level, like, you should imitate me. But the Apostle Paul is saying, he's saying, I'm urging you to imitate me like a father. So what's he talking about there? He's talking about this because in their day, in their time, what the father did, the kids also did. The father owned owned land and herded sheep, so the kids became shepherds. The father was a baker, and so uh, the the sons and and the kids became bakers. It became a part of the family business. This is the way the the family went. And so the father would go to work, and the son would come with him, and he would imitate the father, and he would do what the father does, and he would continue uh, in that, and he would imitate him in this. And what these folks are saying, and they're saying, like, we started in you... We, we started in the teaching that Paul brought us, but we're not going to continue in that. We're going to do our own thing. We're going to act in our own ways. We're going we're to we're be people who are listening to ourselves. We're going to be our own guide. We're going to be our own father. And the Apostle Paul says, that's why I sent you Timothy in, in verse 17. He says, I'm sending you one of my best guys. Uh, that's why I sent you Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ as, they, as I teach them everywhere in every church. So he says, I have sent somebody to you to teach you my ways in Christ. But then go to the next thing, the last thing here. He says, some are arrogant as though I were not coming to you, but I will come to you soon if the Lord wills. And I will find out not the talk of these arrogant people, but their power. For the kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in power. What do you wish? Shall I come to you with a rod, or with love and a spirit of gentleness? Paul is saying to them, I'm sending someone to teach you. I'm sending someone to bring this this change about in your life. But I know that there's people... In this church at Corinth, Paul says, he says, I know that there's people who are arrogant. And what are they arrogant about? They're saying, Paul's not going to show up again. Paul's not going to be here. I'm not, I'm not going I'm not, to, I'm not listening to what Paul has to say. Paul says the evidence of those people as to whether they have anything to say is going to be the power that's in their life. Now that could mean a number of different things. It could be power in 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 healing or in miraculous events, but I think what I really think what Paul is talking about. Paul is talking about miraculously changed lives. I think he's talking about people who have who there there's clearly the power of God in their lives. And here's the difference. What he's what he's talking about is he's saying he's saying there are people who shirk authority. They're pushing off this authority and they're saying, I'm not going to hear this. I'm not going to listen to this. I'm I'm doing my own thing. And Paul says the evidence that they are not right is in their life. The evidence that that, that things are messed up is in their life. There's no power in what they're saying. All that they are doing is spouting off their own pride and their own arrogance and saying, look at me, look at the gifts that God has given me. Look at what God has done for me. I'm I'm so fantastic. And the Apostle Paul is saying there's no power in that. There's no power in that. And so where does that leave us with this? I think what it leaves us with is this, is that some of us, and I, and I would go so far as to say all of us, to some degree or another, are people who don't want to be teachable. I, I don't want to be taught, and there, there's, there's at least two levels here. You're, you're in a church, and you have come to teach, not to be taught. You have something to offer. And arrogantly believe that somehow you have this great gift. And rather than someone lifting you up and saying, hey, come and, come and speak to us. What you've said is you've said, I, I have something to bring you. And I want to tell you how devastating that is to a church. I've seen it happen so many times. And I just, I can't tell you um, how bad it is for a church when you have people who arrogantly believe that they have something that everybody else needs. I've seen it over and over again. And more often than not, when they're confronted, the, thing, the very thing that happens is, is, it's a lack of teachableness. They refuse to hear. They refuse to listen to it. And, and in some ways, what we often as the elders wanna say, is we wanna say, listen, Um, we're not coming to you as authoritarians. We're not coming to you as people who want to squash you and to hold you down. We are coming to you as people who love you like a father. I am held to that standard as one of the elders in this church. I'm held to that standard to love people incredibly and to be confronted by my fellow elders and the congregation when that doesn't take place. But too often people say, "I, who are you in my life?" When in in reality, throughout this throughout the scriptures, what you see uh, over and over again through the New Testament is this idea that like God has put people in a place of leadership, the elders, and not to to dominate you or to be domineering over you, as it says in 1 Peter 5, but to be people who are loving you, lovingly entreating you and saying, would you please follow Jesus? Would you please follow him? Would you walk with him? And so many times, people, when they're confronted by authority, they say, I am an authority. They're essentially saying, I am an authority unto myself. And I refuse to hear it. I refuse to hear it. So let's talk for a second. Jesus' claim on your life is this, is that when he is your authority, that you experience human flourishing. Jesus' claim on your life is this, is that when you come to him, in fact, Matthew 11, I need to, I need to, cruise over there real quick. Matthew 11 verse verse 28. Jesus says, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Think about this. Jesus is saying to you and to me, He's saying, I, I want to invite you into relationship. Jesus' claim on your life is He's saying, I'm inviting you into relationship. He says, and, and what he, what he's saying is this He's saying, I'm I'm asking you to come to me. Everyone who has come to the end of their rope and has said, like, I'm tired of the burdens. I'm tired of the things that I'm carrying on myself, the idea that somehow I need to be God. Do you know what happens when you have to be God, when you have to be in control? When stuff feels out of control, you are a bad God, and you destroy yourself. You end up being somebody who's, who's critical of yourself and, and destroying yourself. Do you know what happens when you become somebody who says, I've got this worked out, I've got life figured out, I've got the tiger by the tail? And I've got all these great gifts. You know what? You end up destroying yourself. And human flourishing and the people around you. And human flourishing does not take place in that context. Human flourishing takes place in this. When Jesus says, come to me, everyone who has realized that they are a bad God unto themselves, that they are not the true authority in life. And he's saying this, I'm asking you to willingly, to willingly take something on to you you see what he says take my yoke upon you there's two ways that this could go around if if God is an authoritarian he takes his yoke picture a big uh, wooden um, harness that two animals would be in but a wooden harness and Jesus is saying I am NOT taking my harness and saddling you with all of this guilt I'm not taking my harness and putting it on you and saying, this is what you'll do or you'll pay. I'm not taking my harness and putting it on you so that you become somebody who is broken down and weary because of this. No, he's saying, I want you. I want you to make the decision. I want you to be the one who makes the decision. He's just gotten done saying, I'm I'm, I'm thankful that, God, you've hidden these things from the wise and the understanding, and I'm thankful that you've revealed these people to me and given them to me. But Jesus says the way that that relationship comes about is by you saying, I am going to take the harness that is Jesus, and I'm going to put it on myself. And somehow, in taking Jesus' authority and putting it onto yourself and saying, I am going to live under the authority of Jesus, removes real burden. See what Jesus' claim on your life is, is that human flourishing happens in the context of taking on Jesus' authority, living under the authority of Jesus Christ. That's why Paul says, he says, I'm sending you Timothy so that he can teach you all the things that I've taught him in Christ. So that he, he knows my way of life. And what, what is that way of life? You've already seen it. He said, I'm, I'm abused. I don't have food. I don't have all of these things. And, he, and, and what he's saying is he's saying that my life is an outpouring of Jesus and his sacrifice. He's saying the way that, the, the way that life really goes, the way that life, life really should be, is in this self-giving authority that would give himself up for the people that he leads, not in an authoritarian way, but in a loving way like a father. And Paul's saying, I want you to see that Jesus is an authority that when you take him on, it releases you from having to be God and it releases you from having to try to find a God. It releases you from trying to find happiness or, or find anything else because all that you have and all that you need is wrapped up in Jesus when he says, I want you to take me onto yourself. Too many times what takes place is this, is that you and I decide that I will be my God, I will be my authority, I will be what matters most in life. What happens is this is a community that falls apart. Our political climate, I've mentioned it a couple times, our political climate right now between Republicans and Democrats is the outworking of everyone being their own authority in God. It is the outworking of the way that our world works. And when we bring that into the church, it causes great harm. But here, here's the thing: if you've never, if you've never said, "I'm going to put my myself under the authority of God," here's what you're missing. Well, really, you're not missing something. You're you're actually putting an, an immense burden on your own life, and you're saying, "I want to carry that weight. I want to carry that burden." But Jesus is saying, I want to release you from that. And I have released you from that through the cross. Because on the cross, what took place there is that Jesus showed us what real authority is. Jesus showed us that real authority is self-giving. It's self-sacrificial. And he's willing to die for us. And he did die for us. That's the only kind of authority that you can live for. It's the person who's willing to give themselves for you. And in the context of our church, that's what we're praying for. So let me ask you this. Uh, have you been ever been confronted by a Christian friend? And you just said, eh. I'm not going to hear that. Have you ever been confronted uh, by, by somebody who's in leadership in the church and they graciously came to you and said, Hey, I'm seeing this in your life? And you said, You know what? I'm, I'm not hearing it. You are your own God, you are your own authority. You're acting like the church in Corinth. All of us have a responsibility to respond graciously to gracious authority. All of us have a responsibility. But you know what we often do? We say, you know, I don't like the way that you said it. You know what you don't like? You don't like that I said it at all. But the Apostle Paul says in in Ephesians chapter 4, he says, we are to speak the truth in love. And so a real Christian community is a community that confronts one another. And then in Ephesians 5, he says, we are to be submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. But do we submit to one another? Because I can tell you what normally happens is that I'll confront someone, and I've learned over the years how to do that better. I haven't always been good at that. And you know what people will often do? They'll say, if you're going to confront me with this sin in my life, what that means is that uh, I can't be here anymore. Do you know why they can't be here? Because you can go to another church, and no one knows the sin that's in your life because you're not known there. In Paul's day, there was a church in Corinth. There was a church. And people do this day in and day out. And they, they look at the elders, even though the elders, insofar as they are uh, biblically informed and gracious in the, way that they're, in the way that they're leading, and they say, you know what, forget you and what you have to say to me. I don't care that you're confronting me on my unfaithfulness to my wife or to my husband. I am a God unto myself. I'm going to do what I want. And all that that shows is that you're not teachable. Jesus isn't king in your life. You have not experienced the grace and mercy, the authority of, of grace that Jesus has in your life. You haven't taken his yoke upon you and released yourself from that. I mean, like... I I keep thinking through this series. I'm, I'm like, I want to pull the punch, but I'm like, no, this is probably the only time that I'm, I'm going to have a, a little bit of this opportunity to say it. But like, I, you just got to think through this, church people. Like, what are you going to do when you're confronted? Are you going to say, I'm in control and I am king or Jesus is my king? Are you going to say, I am, I am the end all authority maker and Jesus is not my authority, or are you going to say, Jesus is my king? Because what real Christian community looks like is this, is that we're lovingly confronting each other on where we are in life. The elders have a specific responsibility to be people who are shepherding the flock, to love and care. It's not authoritarianism. It's loving a a grace-based authority. So that's my question to you church people. What are you going to do when you're confronted? How are you going to respond? Will it be in gratitude that someone would want to hold you back from the edge and just say, hey, dude, you are going towards the edge of a cliff. Your life is about to go off the edge. Are you going to say, you know what, I appreciate that. I haven't always responded that way. I haven't always responded that way. And I wish that I had. But I can tell you today that when somebody of high esteem comes to me and says, Matt, I'm seeing something in your life. I had one of my one of my board members say to me, Matt, you said the wrong thing in this situation, and you owe that person an apology. I was incredibly grateful, as somebody would tell me. Will you be grateful? Is Jesus your king, or are you your king? Fun message, huh? Let us pray. Lord Jesus, I, uh, I ask for humility for myself and um, for all of us here god i, th- I think it's a timely word because <clears throat> we are a group of people that um god we desire to grow the lord who knows what's what's in our midst right now that we don't even know about or we we have uh we've refused to con- confront ourselves perhaps we've refused to confront someone else in love around us and so Lord, I pray that we'd be teachable. I pray that we'd hear from you. I pray that we would allow you to be um, our authority. And God, would you work powerfully in our lives and in our midst. It's in your name that we uh, pray this morning. Amen.